Um, We're continuing our sermon series called Letting Go, when we are invited to let go of who we think we're supposed to be, and that we instead embrace who God created us to be. And I'm using as uh, a resource for this sermon series, Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And uh, I've encouraged you, if you've enjoyed this sermon series, to, to read that book because I think that there, you'll find a lot more helpful uh, information there that I'm not able to get to on a Sunday morning. And so by now you've seen that today's uh, emphasis in worship is letting go of comparison. Letting go of comparison. When I first started out in ministry, every year ordained elders were given this form when it was time to decide uh, whether or not a pastor should be reappointed to a church. And so as a pastor, as an ordained elder, we got this form and it had three boxes on it. The first box said, I would like to return to the church that I'm currently serving. The second box said, I would prefer not to return to the church that I'm serving. And the third box said, I'll either return or go. I really don't care. Which to me meant you probably ought to be checking go because it's, you know, if you don't really care one way or the other, it may be time for you to go, right? Well, um, they don't have that same type of form now, but that's the form we used to have when I started it. And so the only time that I've ever checked the box that I would like to go somewhere else was after my first five years of ministry. I'd been an associate pastor for all of that time, but I was kind of ready to spread my wings. You know, I only got to preach like once a month, and I didn't get to do a lot of the things that I was really looking forward to do, so I wanted to be a solo pastor. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the Methodist church, ordained elders don't get to pick where they uh, serve, what church they get to go to. So I had no say when I put that check in the box that I was ready to leave where I would be appointed. But I knew a lot of the churches that were coming open, and based on what I knew about me, and based on what I knew about a lot of those churches, I had narrowed the list down to about five or six churches that I thought that they might send me to. And so I had that list, and that day when the superintendent was supposed to call, he picked it up, and I had my little list there, you know, thinking, I wonder which one of these five it's going to be. And then when he told me where I was going, it was not on the list. But I was still excited because, you know, I'm going to get to preach every week and I'm going to kind of get to, to, to lead in a way that you aren't really able to lead when you're sitting in the second chair of a church. And so I was really, really excited about where they told me that I was going and I was looking forward to it until I started catching wind to where some of my clergy friends were going. And... They, some of them were appointed to bigger churches than the one that I was appointed to. And we all know this, you know, the bigger churches pay more. So there's a really good chance that if they were projected to a bigger church, that they were probably also going to be making more money than me. And I realized that I'm an associate pastor that served for five years in a large membership church. I've sort of been prepared for almost anything that you could be, that you could encounter in the life of the church. I am uniquely more qualified to serve in some of those bigger churches, making some of that bigger money than some of my friends. And I 
was so happy in one moment about where I'd been told I was going to go and serve the Lord. And then after I began to compare myself to where everybody else was going, I was absolutely disgusted and disappointed. And so I called up my uh, mentor in the faith, a retired pastor, and I just shared with him how disappointed I was. And I fully expected him to say, well, Tommy, I'd be disappointed too if I were you. But instead, what he said to me is, Tommy, don't let where you're not going to serve negatively impact where you are going to serve. And that reminded me, I had a seminary professor. He was telling us one day in class about how his daughter was an actress that had moved to New York City. And she'd been auditioning for shows for uh, uh, months and months and months, and she'd been cast in several shows, but none of the shows that she'd been cast in were Broadway shows. While some of her friends that were auditioning for the same Broadway shows had been cast in a Broadway show. And she called her father, my professor, up, and she was so disappointed when she was comparing her lot with her friend's lot. And her father reminded her, you love theater. And this may not be Broadway, but it is theater. So you just go and you just do your very best and don't worry about it. And after he told us that story in class, he looked at this group of aspiring pastors, clergy, it's as if he knew that we were going to one day find ourselves disappointed because we were comparing ourselves to other people. And he said, I want you to know this, folks. One day you're going to get appointed to a church, and it may not be first church, but it'll be church. And you just go there and you do the best you can. So I went to that appointment, the appointment that I was so excited about one moment, but then so disappointed in the next moment after I began comparing it to what some of my friends were, were going to uh, be doing. And I just loved and I led the best way that I could. And you know what? It was a good appointment. And, and God just blessed me and blessed those people in a way that I couldn't have imagined, but I almost missed it because I was so disgusted and disappointed when I compared myself to everybody else that I could have gone in there with such a negative spirit and a despondent heart that it would have never worked out for me. I'm guessing that preachers aren't the only one that get caught into that negative cycle of comparison. I'm guessing that everybody here has had that moment where you looked at what you have, looked at your life, you looked at your lot, and you compared it to somebody else's, and you thought, there is no way in the world that that's right. You know, I should have had that opportunity, or I should have had that possibility given to me. I'm guessing that everybody here at some point in your life has wrestled with comparing yourself to other people and it ended up uh, creating all sorts of negativity and despair in your life. I I guess if there's anything good to be said about it is that it, it has been going on 
since the beginning of time. I mean, I could have opened up the Bible and just randomly pointed at something this morning and probably come up with a biblical story that has a part of it, this, the negativity that often comes from comparing ourselves to somebody else. I could have used Cain and Abel. There was a murder that ended up taking place because one brother decided to compare himself with his other brother. Or I could have used Jacob and Esau. Or I could have even used the disciples who were arguing about who got to sit next to Jesus and about who was the greatest. The the reality is I could have chosen any number of stories to highlight the negative things that can happen when we begin to compare ourselves to other situations and to other people. But I chose this morning to choose the story about King Saul. And I might need to give you just a little bit of information about what's gone on just prior to the text that we had read this morning. You see, King Saul is leading the Israelites and the Philistines have invaded the Israelite space. And so what you've got here is you've got the Philistines on one side of a hill and you've got the Israelites on the other side of the hill and they are getting ready for battle. And the Philistines have a weapon that the Israelites don't have. They have this big giant of a man named Goliath. And so Goliath steps out from the Philistine army and he just begins to taunt the Israelite army. He's like, hey, why don't y'all just pick out a man? Any man you want to pick out, just pick out a man and let that man fight me. And if I kill that man, then all of you Israelites have to serve us Philistines. But if that man were to somehow kill me, then uh, all of the Philistines will serve all of the Israelites. And I can just imagine those Israelites looking over at that big giant of a man thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. Well, there was a little boy that was there that heard this giant taunting the Israelite army. And his name was David. Now David wasn't supposed to be there. He was not a part of the Israelite army. In fact, David was there visiting his brothers. They were a part of the Israelite army. And and David had been instructed by his father to bring his brothers some supplies. But David was there when this giant of a man, Goliath, began to taunt the Israelites and to just dare them to bring out somebody to fight against him. And so David said, I'll do it. And King Saul looked at David and said, Boy, get get out of here. You're, You're too small. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. There is no way in the world that you would be able to defeat that giant of a man, Goliath. And David starts making his case about why he thinks he'd be a good person to do it. He said, hey, I'm a shepherd boy. And every once in a while when I'm guarding the sheep at night, these vicious wild animals come and try to to harm me and harm my sheep. And I've beaten so many of those vicious animals. I have learned to be creative. I've defeated animals that I had no business defeating. And I can beat this giant of a man, Goliath. And besides that, I'm convinced that the Lord will deliver me in this battle. And I'm sure King Saul was looking at this kid like, kids, you know, what what are we going, what's the world coming to? Okay, 
You know, sometimes we as parents let our kids do something we know they're going to fail at anyway just so they'll learn a lesson. I don't recommend it in this particular case. But King Saul says, okay. And so King Saul gives this young boy some armor to wear and a sword to carry into battle. But the armor is too big. David can't wear it. It doesn't fit. And the sword is too heavy. David can't even hardly lift it. And so he said, if it's all the same with you, I'm going to take off the armor and I'm going to leave behind the sword. All I need are five smooth stones and a slingshot. And so that's what he takes with him into battle against this giant of a man, the Philistine, Goliath. And what do you know? I mean, it's lost some of its meaning and power to us today because we know how the story ends. But this little bitty boy with nothing but a rock and, and a slingshot goes and he slays the giant Goliath. And what we're told in Scripture is that after that, wherever Paul sent, uh, Saul sent David to go into battle, David experienced success in battle. And so now we're finally at the part of the Scripture this morning where King Saul and warrior David are coming back home after some of these battles. And apparently news of their success has spread because these women are coming out of every city in Israel and they're singing and they're dancing and they're playing the tra- uh, tambourine and, and they are celebrating the victories that have taken place under King Saul and warrior David's leadership. And we don't know what the tune to the song was that they sang, but we know the words, King Saul has killed thousands of people, but but, uh, warrior David, he's killed ten thousands of people. And in that moment, Saul began to compare You see, when Saul heard those songs being sung by those women, Saul interpreted those songs as they like him more than they like me. They think more of him than they think of me. They pointed out that he killed tens of thousands of people, but they said that I only killed thousands of people. I'm the king here. I'm the one that they ought to be praising. And instead, they're praising this young warrior David. He should have been celebrating what David had done because with every battle that David won, it allowed his kingdom's cause to continue. But the Scripture says is that he began to look at that boy David with a suspicious eye. And we find out later that he even tries to kill David on numerous occasions. Why? Did he he try to kill David or did he look at him suspiciously because David was less loyal than he was before? No. I mean, did did he try to kill David or look suspiciously upon him because he was less valuable to him than he was before? No. He looked at David with suspicion and he developed this resentment and this jealousy and this envy because he was comparing himself to David and he didn't feel like he measured up. In her book, Brene Brown says that comparison is the thief 
of happiness. It's the thief of happiness. Comparison is what causes you from going from being so excited about where you're going to get to go and preach for your first time as a solo pastor in one moment to being completely despairing and disappointed in the next moment because you started comparing yourself to where all of your other clergy friends were going to get to go and preach and be solo pastors for the first time. Comparison is the thief of happiness. Just like that, it can take your happiness away from you. And I want to suggest to you that we were not created by God to compare ourselves to every other creation of God. Because what the Scripture says is that when you and I were created, we were created fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully and uniquely. Every single one of us that God created are original pieces of art. And you can't compare one original piece of art to another. They are totally different. Your creativity, your originality helps birth your creativity. And here's the thing. We're told that we were created by a creative God, a creating God. And we're told that we were created in that God's image. And so what does that mean? It means that we are creative, that we are unique, that we are gifted. We are all beautiful creations of God. So the question for us shouldn't be, how do I become creative? The question should be, how do I unleash my creativity that God has given to me? When I compare myself to everybody else, what that leads me to want to do is to compete with everybody else, or in some ways just to conform with everybody else. But we were each uniquely created and gifted by Almighty God. And so what I'd like to invite you to do today is to let go of comparison and instead to cultivate this sense of creativity. Who is it that God uniquely gifted and graced me to be? And if I'm focused on that, I don't need to worry about what everybody else is doing and comparing myself to what everybody else looks like or acts like or is seeking to be. I am being what God created me to be and that's to be this unique creation, creative creation of God.